This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. It was quite a small room, which was packed to the rafters, frankly. There was media from all over the world, TVs, photographers, print journalists. It was actually a pretty simple place. So it's in the west of Beirut uh, in Lebanon. Reporter Nick Kostov covers business. Yesterday, he was at a press conference held by former auto executive and current international fugitive Carlos Ghosn. Carlos Ghosn walked in eight minutes early. He's always on time. So I, I was sitting maybe halfway back, and I couldn't actually see him walking into the room because he was surrounded by photographers. So there was just this flurry of activity. Everybody was trying to get their shots. There was a lot of shouting from the video guys who wanted the photographers to get out of the way. I, I mean, it was, it was quite a mad scene. Um, there was this, this kind of nervous energy. This is the maddest press conference I've ever seen. Less than two weeks ago, Gon, the former chairman of Nissan and Renault, made a daring escape from Japan in a box. He was fleeing charges that he misused Nissan funds and that he failed to disclose income. Gon has maintained his innocence throughout, but hadn't fully given his side of the story. Yesterday, Gon did just that in a blistering and emotional two-hour press conference. I felt I was a hostage of a country that I have served for 17 years. I dedicated my... Today on the show, Carlos Ghosn makes his case. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, January 9th. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time to be here. It was a momentous occasion because um, it's the first time Nicole has gone appeared in public, obviously, since his dramatic escape. And he's also built this event up as the first time where he can actually speak freely about what's been happening to him for the past 14 months. So he says he hasn't been able to say how he feels. He hasn't been able to present his side of the story because he was afraid of going back to jail. So now that that's gone, he, you know, he kind of promised us that we were going to hear his side of the story. When going into it, what did he look like? I thought he looked pretty good, actually. He looks tanned, he looks healthy, he's got a new haircut, which I hadn't seen before. He looked determined. Determined to prove his innocence. Prosecutors in Japan accuse Gon of two main things. First, they say he arranged with Nissan to hide $80 million of his salary until he retired. And second, they allege that he cut secret deals using Nissan money to benefit him personally. So what do you think Carlos Ghosn was trying to accomplish by calling this press conference? So I think Carlos Ghosn really believes that if he can get his side of the story out, which he believes he hasn't been able to do, he believes people will come to the conclusion that he's innocent. 
So I think he was trying in the court of public opinion to really influence people. As you can imagine, today is a very important day for me. One that I have looked forward to every single day for more than 400 days since I was brutally taken from my world as I knew it. Where does he begin? So he began essentially by trying to explain why this whole thing happened, um, which he believes is because there were people in Nissan, executives in Nissan, who didn't want to merge it with Renault and who therefore felt that they had to get rid of Carlos Ghosn. At the time of his arrest, Carlos Ghosn was the chairman of both the Japanese carmaker Nissan and the French company Renault. The companies had a close partnership, but Ghosn had been working on a plan to formally merge them. This merger worried many Nissan executives. They feared that it would give Renault too much control. And Ghosn believes that fear is what motivated those executives to report him to Japanese authorities. Unfortunately, there was no trust. And some of our Japanese friends thought the only way to get rid of the influence of Renault on Nissan is to get rid of me. Nissan denies that the merger plans motivated their concerns about Gon, but Gon doesn't buy it. So he believes that these people managed to weaponize the unfair uh, Japanese justice system. And that's kind of where he went next. He essentially tried to move the trial from himself to the Japanese justice system. In Gon's telling, the most shocking thing about his story is how the Japanese justice system treated him. I think it's really important for him to change a narrative uh, from someone who's kind of fled justice, broken bail, to, you know, someone who's kind of had no option. And he kind of went through everything that he believes was wrong with it. The harsh treatment that he received when he got arrested. And I hadn't spoken to or seen my family for six weeks. My only contact with them were letters shown to me by lawyers through a looking glass. The fact he was uh, in solitary confinement. 130 days in prison, solitary confinement, tiny cell without window. I felt like I was not a human anymore. I was something between a human, an animal, or an object. But I mean, no he was questioned for months without a lawyer. The prosecutors essentially get their way. The trial kept getting delayed. But the prosecutors did whatever they want. When they were late, they say, well, sorry, we're late. We're busy. When they ask, why don't you bring this document this date? They say, we're going to think about it. Then the date comes, they say, we're late. We're not giving it. And why all of this? Try as much as possible to delay the trial. He basically wants it to look like he's fled uh, North Korea or some other archaic, unfair system. So I think that's why he spent a lot of time, essentially, to explain his actions. That there was no way I was going to be treated fairly. No sign that I will have a normal life for the next four or five years. So I can tell you, that means it's not very difficult to come to conclusion. You're going to die in Japan or you're going to have to get out. Do you think that his accounting of the Japanese justice system is is accurate or, or fair to Japan? So I've got to say one of the things that has surprised me covering this story is the Japanese justice system. To take the example of when he was first arrested, he was held for more than 20 days without a lawyer, without charge, without necessarily having access to the evidence. I mean, 
the point that he's been repeatedly making about why he had to flee was he was saying that the trial kept getting delayed. And as far as I can tell, it's true that it seemed to be taking a very, very long time to come to trial. So, yeah, I think he does have some legitimate points that he makes. But look, I mean, you know, we're now in Lebanon. Lebanon is, is way further down in terms of the difficulties of getting a fair trial. So, you know, obviously the Japanese feel there's absolutely no justification as to why he decided he had to flee in the end. Japanese legal officials responded to Gon's press conference, saying that Gon only had himself to blame for his troubles. And Tokyo's deputy chief prosecutor said Gon, quote, flagrantly disregarded Japanese law to avoid the consequences of the crimes he committed. After attacking the legal system, Gon turned to defending his legacy as a visionary auto executive. Ever since Gon was arrested, the auto alliance between Nissan and Renault that he worked nearly two decades to build has lost a third of its value. So once he leaves, he basically says, well, Nissan stopped listening to Renault. His point was that the alliance barely exists anymore. The two companies essentially are now pretty independent and not not working together. Um, They've essentially just been busy fighting or busy dealing with the going fallout, and it's really hurt them. I feel like essentially they've lost, you know, a year where they've been focused on the wrong things. The growth has disappeared. Profits are down. I'm finding a hard time to see any strategic direction. And one pretty telling thing that Gohn said in his press conference is he was trying to wrap up a deal with Fiat Chrysler when he was arrested. And now Fiat Chrysler has gone and merged with um, Renault's biggest French rival. I missed the unmissable, which is Fiat Chrysler. So he feels like they're missing opportunities and they're not reacting. But it's unbelievable. How can you lose that? How can you lose this huge opportunity to become the dominant player in this industry? So I think he just feels the the alliance is, is falling apart. He said a number of times during the press conference, if you look at my legacy, it's, you know, companies making profit, company increasing sales, uh, company increasing cash flow. And they said they wanted to turn the page on Carlos Ghosn. And turning the page on Carlos Ghosn has meant, you know, declining cash flow, declining profit, declining sales. And by the way, the market cap decrease of Nissan since my arrest is more than $10 billion. They lost more than $40 million a day during all this period. The companies have acknowledged struggling in the past year since Gohn's arrest, but they haven't yet responded to Gohn's specific claims at the press conference. Nick says there might be another reason Gohn wanted to highlight the company's poor performance without him, so that he could justify the hefty salary he'd been making. That salary had drawn scrutiny in Japan and became a focal point of Gohn's legal problems. He realizes that people think that he made a pretty large salary, um, that he had you know, a lot of perks that he kind of flew around in private jets. And he he wants to show them that he was doing this for the good of the company, that he wasn't doing this for himself, and that people, shareholders were pretty happy to have him kind of fly around the world and head three companies at once when he was creating shareholder value. So I think it's also a way to justify how much Nissan in particular was spending on him. Gon spent over an hour making his case that he was the victim of Japanese prosecutors and plotting Nissan executives. But as the conference moved to Q&A, it became clear that the crowd of reporters in the room was there for an entirely different story. 
You know, the one in which sources say Ghosn agreed to pay millions of dollars to be smuggled out of Japan in a private jet, hiding in a box used for audio gear. That story. Carlos Ghosn said at the beginning that he wouldn't talk about how he got out, and reporters tried in every different way to try and make him say something. Can you tell us your feelings, your emotion when you got into the packing case, your emotions when you got on the plane to freedom? It was quite funny when the British reporter obviously asked about, um, you know, whether he'd recommend people travelling in boxes. Would you recommend a packing case as a means of travel? I'm sorry? Would you recommend a packing case as a means of travel? Uh, He kind of smiled and and moved on to the next question. Okay, okay, hands, 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 hands. Amidst the emotion and excitement of the press conference, there was another, much bigger question still left unanswered. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Welcome back. As our colleague Nick Kostov looked back on the Gone press conference, he noticed one thing in particular about the way Gone presented his case. He really got in the weeds. Gone's legal team had spent months preparing to defend him in court in Japan. They compiled a trove of documents to present. And now that Gone has fled Japan, the prospect of a formal trial looks pretty remote. But Gon still wants to clear his name. And so he used this press conference as an opportunity to present some of that evidence in detail. He put some documents on a screen, which he basically claims are evidence that first Nissan and Japanese prosecutors claims against him are, are bogus and baseless. You know, I, I think we have the list. Yeah, we have here. And he kind of highlighted things and he circled things. The list of all the prosecutor misconducts. You know, we can remake out the documents from where we were sitting. And there are many more documents to come. But it was kind of interesting because a lot of the reporters in the room haven't been following this case and the various things he's accused of. And I think they'd come in expecting, you know, stories of the escape and they got some pretty in-the-weed explanations about, you know, money transfers in no man. I mean, my feeling was he really tried to cram uh, 14 months of press conferences into into two hours. And I felt we maybe didn't spend long enough on uh, kind of much broader allegations, which would be on a higher level, was he trying to enrich himself without disclosing it to, first of all, shareholders and also to public opinion? The key question for Nick isn't really in all those details that Gohn shared about who signed off on which document and when. It's a question that didn't really get addressed. It's the bigger question of whether Ghosn was in some way trying to enrich himself. 
and trying to do it quietly? And that will be a difficult question to answer without a formal trial. The thing about the courts is that at some point you're going to get a judgment. I feel like we're now in a position in the court of public opinion where Carlos Ghosn is going to accuse Nissan and Japanese prosecutors of some things. They're going to answer. They're going to accuse Carlos Ghosn of some things. There's going to be mudslinging both sides. And I'm not sure we're going to, you know, get any closer to an answer. And I really don't think that's what Carlos Ghosn wants ultimately. I think he wants to clear his name, and I don't think the court of public opinion is is going to be the place to do it. Earlier today, a Lebanese prosecutor issued a travel ban for Ghosn. Before, Ghosn was forbidden from leaving Japan. Now, he's forbidden from leaving Lebanon. for today, Thursday, January 9th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Sean McLean for his reporting and for his audio from the press conference. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.